for those tough wake-ups. Stats are misleading. It's Marsh and Mello. Major foul. Wake up to serious sports talk. He fist his head. It's Marsh. The CFL, baby. And Mello. I love Canada. It's Marsh and Mello. This is football. For those tough wake-ups. They're heating up. It's Marsh and Mello. Coming your way, Hamilton. Wake up to serious sports talk. Gas tank gonna be full. It's Marsh. In Canada. And Mello. Why not, eh? It's Marsh and Mello. Thank you, Canada. Everybody's doing it. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to the show. It is Marsh and Mellow for you on Friday, July 9th. You know what that means, kids? We are just one sleep away from the Hamilton Tiger Cats stepping onto Tim Hortons Field for training camp. I actually wrote an article this week uh, talking about training camp, and I couldn't believe when I wrote the sentence on my computer With training camps opening up across the country this weekend, and I actually stopped, and as I was writing it, I put in dash, damn, it felt good to write that, dash, and then I just continued with my thought. I didn't know what else to do other than to say, man, that felt nice to be able to put in, but it is an exciting time for the CFL, and we're looking forward to bringing it for you here on CFP all throughout the year. Of course, we can only do that with the thanks of our friends, of course, at Fox 40. Go to fox40shop.com. They have the latest in uh, innovations to be able to get you back on the field. The return to play lineup, the Fox 40 Tri-Layer Whistle Mask, and the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle. 15% off is what they are offering. If you go to fox40shop.com and you enter the promo code CFP15. Again, fox40shop.com, CFP15 is where you can go. And quick shout out to our friends at Sada City. I'm enjoying a nice uh, Mariposa Sun Lager after a workout today. It's a little crushable 4.2% light lager (laughs) after a nice little workout to get myself uh, back into shape after getting my second shot. Got my second shot this week. That was a fun little adventure. Uh, I'll tell you about that in a second. But first, I got to let you know, use the promo code CFL if you'd like to get free shipping at checkout on sawdustcitybeer.com. And it's available to Ontario residents only. Must be of legal drinking age, but make sure you go there. Check out their full lineup. I got a bunch of great stuff. And uh, of course, you will hear from Sam Corbet, the brewmaster of Sada City Beer, coming up in just a little bit as he's going to tell you about all things Lumberbrow as well for you today here on the show, which we're looking forward to being able to give you that. But uh, I want to begin the show today, Kyle, by asking you how much alcohol and what type of alcohol do you think Nikita Kucherov had to drink in order to have a press conference <laughs> for the ages? <laughs> he had uh, he had Russian vodka for sure, the St. <laughs> Petersburg special. I don't know where he's from, but in, oh, in Russia. Man. There's no way that was beer, though, right? Because I asked you before we came on no. here. I'm like, how many beers do you have to have in order to go up and be like, you know, effing Vezzi and the Vezzi and the Vegas thing? And <laughs> like, he was he was all over the place in that presser, and I, I don't think that was beer because you made the point of the time between coming off the ice and doing those pressers, even in the Zoom virtual age, I don't think is long enough and I don't think those guys are drinking yeah. like 7% beers. I don't think they're diving but, into like the dark stouts. I'm pretty sure that in the locker room, it's like sponsored beer. That's all 4%. So I can just smash them over each other's heads. But I think those press conferences are dual. I think there are some guys are virtual and then some guys are actually in the room mm. um, because they all don't sound like they're coming through a, a, an audio medium and like coming through the computer. Um, and again, that's in Florida where they're treating Corona a lot different than the Canada, let's yeah. just say that Amelie the Arena United States bumping. Yeah, the United States are kind of uh synchronized, more synchronized now than ever before. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, that's true. Very true. But uh, so I found that to be interesting. The fact that he came out and he gave his press conference and he was that brash with everything he had to say. He was saying, you know, oh, they thought they they won the cup and Montreal fans were celebrating like crazy. Yeah, man, they're sports fans. They haven't won the cup since 93. I'm pretty sure they're, <laughs> they're allowed to go crazy. Like the the root or the root of, of being a fan is being a fanatic and fanatics are unreasonable in what they do. So yeah, of course, French Canadian hockey, they're going to lose their minds when they get close to winning a Stanley cup. When they win a game in the Stanley cup, they're one game closer yeah. to winning the Stanley cup in their mind. They got every right to go crazy. Uh, but for him to say that when he dogs, it sits out the whole regular season and then mm-hmm. comes in, puts the team with Braden Point like $18 million over the salary cap, whatever it was. <laughs> and for him, for him to be slandering Montreal fans because they're excited their team won, and he's like shirtless <laughs> and drinking and being like, it was so easy. I can't believe that they ever said that this was the... It's like, dude, you're the cheat code. There's no salary cap in the yeah. playoffs. It was infuriating to me that he was ripping everybody for a team that was... And then you see Vasilevsky's equipment in the picture side-by-side side with Carey Price. And you're like, okay, what the hell is this? Like, why is Vasilevsky's equipment 17 times larger than Gary Price's? It's just that Tampa Bay team to me is in my personal record book, not not back to back. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, they still won two Stanley Cups in a row. Um, realized they won a Stanley Cup last year, basically without Steven Stamkos. Like Stamkos tried in the Stanley Cup final, it didn't work out. There was one game he only played one shift and then yeah. sat on the bench the rest of the game. And he got to waste the Stanley Cup, but still, that was done in large part without Steven Stamkos. And this year, obviously, Kucherov sits out the regular season. Um, Julian Breezebaugh, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, he's able to make some moves at the deadline, picks up Savard, a, a depth blue liner with a ton of offensive talent. He actually picked up the assist on the goal last night, the only goal of the game. And it's that's what good, good organizations do. And, you know, there was this thing on Twitter last night after the game and all these Leafs fans just started popping out of nowhere. And they were like, (laughs) see Tampa Bay is proof that if you stick with your core success will come if they are very good. And I'm like, stick with your core. What are you talking? I'm like, Tampa Bay made the Stanley cup final like four years ago and lost. Then they've won other than I think 2018, when they got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs, They've, they've essentially won two rounds every single year. They've either lost in the conference final, the Stanley Cup final. So I don't know what sort of, uh, you know, line people are trying to go down with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. That is complete polar opposite teams. And that team for Tampa Bay, I was touching on, um, you know, Kucherov sits regular season, comes in in the playoffs. And again, like you said, you know, no salary cap technically when you ice your roster for the playoffs and even more so Julian Breezeball, I want to say right before the trade deadline, he put Tyler Johnston on waivers. Tyler Johnston's making $5 million a year. He put him on waivers so he could make that cap space in order to make that playoff run. No team wanted to pick up the contract of Tyler Johnson. So after getting put on waivers, he was on the Stanley cup, playoff run team and i'm like man when you have a third liner making five million dollars sure helps your case for uh you know putting together a beast squad and and that's what tampa bay is i can't i had never known before that there's no cap in the playoffs like i did not know that that was a thing when i found that out i was like nhl what what the hell is that and i don't know whether to be more angry at bettman for the fact that there's no cap in the playoffs or for tampa bay for finding the loophole 
Because if you think about yeah. it, like if you get close and you can have somebody fresh, why would you not sit somebody for the last two weeks of the regular season and then just bring them hey. back for game one of the start of the playoffs after what we just saw for how dominant Kucherov and the rest of that lineup was? Look, I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are a playoff team without John Tavares on their squad. Why not just say to Johnny T, hey, Johnny T, next year, you're not going to play in the regular season. Yeah, wait it's going to come in in the play a game one of the playoffs. And then the Leafs in the offseason can just go out and sign somebody. A one-year contract, $12 million or whatever, how much money John Tavares well, is making. You, if you put him on LTIR or you have him on some sort of like medical redshirt type list, he can still yeah. practice with the team. Like that's what Kutrov was doing. He was practicing yeah. with it. So it's not as though you say, well, you can't sit out Tavares the entire year because you're going to have to make sure that he's in rhythm when he gets to start the playoffs. Don't worry. He'll be in pretty good rhythm because he'll be <laughs> practicing with them the entire year because that's a thing that you can do. The NHL is so dumb on so many levels. Like there was a reason that Tampa Bay was so dominant. A, they're very good. Yes, we understand yeah. that. But B, they were given such an unfair advantage. Like if you're but, 18 million over the cap, you should win. And they did. And so I don't know why we're applauding them going back to back so much. It's like they found a loophole and they won in large part because of that loophole. They brought in a player that was fresher than anybody and he went crazy. But this isn't the only isolated uh, situation of, you know, cap circumvention in terms of, true. you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. 2012 or 2013, one of the years that they won the cup or even before that, maybe uh, Patrick Kane didn't play in the season in the regular season. He came in in the postseason and helped them to a Stanley cup. So this has happened before plenty of teams, you know, use it to their advantage. And, and Julian Breezebois definitely did, especially with his trade deadline moves. Um, but we'll see if, you know, Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, and all those guys are like, okay, maybe we have to put in some stipulation in terms of you can't go over the salary cap or let's say, Okay, we'll allow that team to go over the salary cap, but you can only go over like three million dollars, not like yeah. nine, ten million dollars, like the Tampa Bay Lightning just did. Oh man, it's just mind blowing that they did that. Anyways, let's uh, let's listen to a very drunk Nikita Kucherov in the uh, the <laughs> press conference from last night because the audio is pretty amazing. From the Lightning, we have Nikita Kucherov. I don't, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, back to back, and yeah. I, I couldn't sleep for three nights, you know, and to be able to win this game is huge. Wasi was outstanding. MVP. I was telling him every day, Wasi, you're MVP. You, you're the best player. And then they gave it to whatever the guy in Vegas, the Vezina. And then last year, they, they gave Vezina to somebody else. Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Wasi took both cups. You know, he took MVP and I was keep telling him he's MVP. He's the guy that he's the best. You know, he was on his head today and, you know, he kept us in the game and another shout out for, by him. Remarkable. Can't even tell more. I'm so happy. we. I didn't want to go back to Montreal, but they acted, the fans in Montreal, come on. They acted like they won the Stanley Cup last game. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? John Romano, they're, Tampa Bay Times. Their final was last, last series. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then he just gets out of the way, oh. but it was a good drunk performance, but but not as good as the best drunk performance from an NHLer in recent memory. In case you were wondering, it's Alexander Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah. We're still in Cup champions! Yeah! Woo! It's yours, boys and girls and boys. Let's go! <laughs> 
because uh, we took about an oh. hour. We took an hour on radio one day trying to figure out what he was saying as the final word here. <laughs> we thought it was boys and girls and babes. It's yours, boys and girls and babes. Let's go. And, and babes. I think we determined that it was babes, but eh, still up in the air. Not not a hundred percent sure what he was getting at there. Now what has to happen is that Nikita Kucherov needs to follow it up at the uh, at the parade yeah. or the boat parade. Are they going to do the boat parade again? Uh, yeah, I would think so. I actually saw a great tweet from Tom Brady, which is not uh, not a revelation because Tom Brady's pretty damn good at Twitter. Whoever's managing his Twitter is pretty damn good <laughs> at Twitter. Uh, but the Stanley Cup official account tweeted at Tom Brady and said, uh, hey, just so you know, the Stanley Cup is too heavy to throw. And Brady tweeted back. Actually, you know what? After some tequila, everything feels a little bit lighter. Uh, which, this is true. Which makes sense uh, based on what Brady looked like when he was uh, tossing around the Lombardi. <laughs> but man, Tampa right now, like, since when did Tampa become Boston? Like, where they just win in every sport at all times, except for the Rays. Well, the Tampa God, Bay, yeah. They'll never, they'll never win anything. But. Well, yeah, the Rays just came up short. Uh, but they're, <laughs> they're close. Yeah. Um, but what was the better kind of dig? during that press conference by Kucherov, was it against Montreal Canadiens fans or Connor McDavid? Did you, did you hear that? He's just like that guy in Las Vegas is the vision. I was like, you're talking about Connor McDavid? Cause he's won back-to-back heart trophies. Uh, well, I just love the idea of like, if, if you don't know hockey chatter or you don't have subtitles, that's a really difficult clip to understand because he's saying, <laughs> You, you know, like he's talking about the Vezina and then Vasilevsky and then Las and then Vegas. He said heart. Yeah. Well, but he's talking about three different V's and they all kind of sound the same Vegas, Vezina, Vasilevsky. And he calls Vasilevsky Vezi, which means the Vezina and the Vezi and Vegas. So he's just like, uh, Vezi and the Vegas, the guy with the Vezna with the Vezi deserved it. I mean, yeah. he called him, I mean, geez, it's first, you know, both of them. And then, and he just, he like stumbles around with three words. I'm like, okay, man, I, I genuinely do yeah. not know what you're trying to get out here. I'd like to reach out to the Zamp Bay Lightning organization and ask for clarification on what the hell he was talking about, <laughs> because I heard him say the heart MVP and then yeah. say, they gave it to that guy in Las Vegas's division. And I'm like, number one, they're not in Vegas's division this year. Um, Normally, <laughs> I think they are. I don't even know. Stupid NFL real or NFL NHL yeah. realignment. I have no idea what teams are in what division. Anymore. I know. I'm with. It'll you. change again. Welcome, Kraken. To the oh NFL. yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> gonna be a fun one too when they come into the fold. Uh, all right, I want to do, do a quick impromptu. What you watching here, Kyle? Because I got a fun one here that I've been enjoying. Hey girl, tell me what you watching. <laughs> Okay, so I started rewatching Lost, uh, which is fun. Uh, I've always wanted to walk my way through Lost again, and uh, right now I'm 17 episodes into season one, and it's uh, it's not bad. It's pretty good. Unfortunately, it's 78 hours worth of content, uh, so that's a bit of heavy lifting. That oh. I mean, it's they stretched that thing out because it was network television, and I gotta say, CGI of polar bears. Spoiler alert. Polar, uh, polar bears in, I sound like Ovechkin, no, Blebs, polar bears. Um, <laughs> but when I, I saw the CGI of a polar bear from ABC television in 2006, I'm like, wow, we have come a long way with CGI in 15 years. Cause that might've been good at the time, but that does not look like, it's just like a white blur with just like teeth, yeah. teeth popping out of it once in a while. But the real show uh, that I wanted to give a shout out to here that I found just because Marlene was watching it and I stumbled upon upon it one day was uh, Divorce, 
is the name of the show. It's on HBO, which means it's on Crave. If you have Crave, search it up. Uh, but divorce, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page of it here. Is that a good it? show to watch right before getting married? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I, I told her because the whole show is about Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Thomas Hayden Church as a middle-aged divorcing couple. Uh, the series premiered on HBO in October of 2016. Pilot episode was written by Horgan and director Jesse Peretz. Uh, and then it premiered, it went through 2018, renewed for a third season, was later announced uh, the premiere date to be the final season. But I don't want to go through the whole, you know, cast and everything else, but the Sarah Jessica Parker combination with Thomas Hayden Church as Robert Dufres, uh, Francis's, so Francis is Sarah Jessica Parker, Francis's helpless husband who discovers her affair and divorces her. It starts out, I thought, as just like a sex in the city, but with divorce type show because it's Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker. And I was like, wow, she's just doing a remake and it's about romance and all the rest. The show actually is funny to me because it has nothing to do with Sarah Jessica Parker. I find it's all about the husband. Like the show, for some <laughs> reason, is it's complete. And it's not even like him wallowing in self despair. It's that he is owning a business and he's investing money that he doesn't have. And he isn't sure whether or not to get a lawyer when he's divorcing. And then the lawyer that he hires is actually Jake from state farm. Um, it's that guy that, that plays in all those commercials and he's just the most ruthless divorce lawyer of all time, but it's, it's a fantastic comedy. And I don't know if, I mean, there's some people that look at succession on HBO as well, it's, you know, it's a tragedy, but really you have to view it as a comedy in order to think that it's any good. This is, I think, supposed to be a comedy at its root, but it's like dark comedy. And I, I think it's <laughs> uproariously funny. So if you want to laugh, if you have Crave or access to HBO, check out Divorce. I know I'm late on this, but if anybody out there has seen it, please tweet us at Marshmallow because I'd love to know that I'm not on an island by myself on this one. But uh, what have you been watching, Kyle? Is there anything new that's popped up? Uh, first thing, I want to touch on the fact that you're going back and watching Lost. Mm -hmm. I try to do that with, the Sopranos and then I realized there are so many seasons of the Sopranos I am not going to be done for like another year yeah. like there's so many episodes of Sopranos I was going to go back and watch season one I got three episodes in and I'm like I don't know if I'm ready for this like soon as I saw the fact of you have to scroll to just reach the end of the season yeah. I'm like there's so many episodes I can't do this so I, I passed on that um what am I watching um, I was just watching before we started recording, um, you know, Tom Segura, the comedian. Oh, yeah. Um, one of his podcasts, Your Mom's House, with his wife, Christina. <laughs> yeah. So his wife, Christina, um, had, a, had a fall and broke her leg or broke her ankle. And this comes months after Didn't Tom, Tom Segura. break his arm playing yeah. basketball or something? So his, um, I think his MCL uh, snapped oh, yeah. as he was going up for a dunk. and. <laughs> He fell backwards and then he went to put his arm down to brace his fall and he snapped his arm. So, and he has said as himself, the arm break was way worse than the knee and the recovery, the arm is still worse than the knee. So I just find it ironic that the wife gets injured, you know, two uh, months or three months after Tom Segura goes down. Uh, but I was watching your mom's house. His wife, Christine is not on the podcast, uh, his latest episode, Russell Peters is, I forgot how funny Russell Peters is. It's been a he's while just, since I've seen him do stuff. Like, did he stop working for a while or why is that? Well, he was going through a, a pretty uh, public divorce. Yeah. Um, but now he, uh, he's done with that. Um, he was talking about, he goes, you know, you don't realize how much money you're spending 
until you stop working because of the COVID and travel restrictions. He hasn't been able to work or have shows. And he was looking at his bank account and he's like, I am hemorrhaging money right now. He's like, I got to get rid of some stuff because when you have as much money as those guys have, and you're not working to, you know, flood the account again, you realize, oh, I have three houses and three mortgages, expensive homes. This is expensive. And I have a Rolls Royce and I have watches (laughs) and I keep buying watches. So Russell Peters had to sell a lot of stuff. He's like, I sold houses, cars, watches. He's like, if anything, he's like, you feel better, but it does hurt your ego. But he's like, you got to put that that to the side. Think about your kids and the fact of, do you still want to do stand-up when you're 65 years old? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Might want to just enjoy your life at some point. So, but yeah. that's, uh, that's a good one though, man. I, I actually like their stuff a lot. It's funny too, because I watched when Burt Kreischer had that show uh, that he did called like the lodge or whatnot, the co- where he just went. And oh, sat- the Netflix show. Yeah. Yeah. He went and sat in the middle of nowhere. And I was actually thinking the other day uh, because Marlene has watched the Burt Kreischer, the machine uh, before that bit that he did for stand up stuff. And uh, when <laughs> we were, I think we were doing something the other day with Noah, my son, and, uh, and she just randomly said the machine. And I said, wow, I haven't thought about Burt Kreischer in a long time. And I started to wonder, what the hell He's is in Bert- Serbia? Is he really? I was going to say, I don't know, like, what the so, hell Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura have been up to because there's no new specials. No. I also, I watched yeah. the, the Bo Burnham special um, inside on, on Netflix <laughs> yeah. as well. It, based on your giggle, I'm going to guess that you've watched it because it is. No, I haven't. You need to watch it. It's ridiculous and over the top and insane, but he also has created the catchiest most incredible music ever while sitting by himself in his house uh the only reason why i was laughing is because my girlfriend about three days ago she says have you ever heard of bo burnham i'm like no (laughs) um she's like he's like super funny and then the other day i forget what we're talking about as we're cooking in the kitchen i mentioned jeff bezos and then she's like have you heard the bo burnham song jeff bezos I'm like, no. And then I just heard this like ridiculous jingle about uh, (laughs) Jeff Bezos. Um, But as for uh, Burt Kreischer, so the machine is a famous joke and kind of made him famous. It's a story about when he was a college student and went to Russia and robbed the train. That's as far as I'll go with the story. You can uh, watch it yourself on YouTube. It has like 100 million hits or whatever. I watch it once a week. (laughs) Anyways, so that story is now being made into a movie. No way. And that's, yeah, that's why he's in Serbia. He's been in Serbia for probably two months uh, shooting this movie. Um, And there's actually like legitimate actors in this movie. I don't know uh, their names off by heart, but one guy, I have seen him in multiple, multiple movies. So uh, we'll see uh, when that comes out. You know the way movies are though, right? It's like release 2026. I'm like, holy hell. Yeah. It's going to take a while. That's wild, man. Yeah, I uh, I had no idea that that was a thing, but that is exciting because yeah. that is a very, very funny story. I just, yeah, I guess it depends the approach that they decide to take with it, right? Whether or not it's going to end up, I guess, being a, in a spot And I where... don't even know if Bert is in the movie. I think he is. He just might it's be supposed to be a... it? No, yeah, like just be there like consulting, right? Because it's supposed to be uh, about Bert when he was super young. I don't know if you want present day Bert. He's old. Like, I don't know if you want him... <laughs> Uh, acting as his younger self it probably would add some humor to it um but it's the same thing with um uh what movie was it a lone survivor 
um, the movie about the story of the Navy SEALs that got pinned down. Yeah. And then Mark Wahlberg plays the lone survivor in the movie. And that's based on a true story. Um, the real guy, I forget his name. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast and he said he was consulting that movie as well. Um, but he just sits in the background and just says, nah, that's not really realistic. That's not what happened. This is what happened. So I wonder if he's going to do that type of role in the movie. I don't even know what it's called. I think it's called the machine. Cause I think he's trademarked it, but we'll see. <laughs> that's so good. Uh, if, for people who haven't heard of Bo Burnham, I just want to give you a snippet here of one of the songs from, in, <laughs> from, from inside, uh, which is the Netflix special that you need to check out because I watched it while having some beers last week. I think it was last Friday. And I laughed so hard. It was so dumb and so fun. Uh, this is a song that he calls White Women's Instagram, okay, that you can, uh, you can enjoy. An open window A novel A couple holding hands Instagram Latte foam art Tiny pumpkins Fuzzy comfy socks Coffee table made out of driftwood A bobblehead of Ruth Bader Ginsburg A needlepoint of a Uh, that was the one that got me was a some random quote from the Lord of the Rings incorrectly attributed to Martin Luther King. <laughs> so, oh my God. <laughs> it's just, it's such an, when you see the actual video that accompanies that song, you'll appreciate it. But they're, they're catchy songs. The one that I actually think, even if you don't want to watch the special, people need to check out the song that he did in that special called Welcome to the Internet. Um, because Welcome to the Internet is, it's such a great, encapsulation it's um i don't know how to describe this as articulately as i want to because he is in a space where like he's had mental health issues and he's had breakdowns and stuff and he hates being in front of the limelight but he really likes comedy and so the idea of being able to do a, a comedy special because you're on contract and all the rest with netflix from your home and create something unique and special and he the music is amazing like the creativity the imagination the hooks the everything but this welcome to the internet song is just about how poisoning of the brain everything around the internet is and uh anyways i'll leave it at that you can check it out for yourselves so welcome to the internet make sure that you go and check it out as much as i am on the internet and i use the internet for way too many things i listened to that song and i was like 
I understand this. Like I totally appreciate where he's coming from with the kind of the spirit of this whole song. So uh, we'll get a quick break right now, come back on the other side. And uh, we are going to actually hear from Sam Corbet, the brewmaster of Sada City Brewing Company. And uh, looking forward to being able to hear from him. And then right after that, I'm just going to throw in a clip that I really enjoyed. Uh, I interviewed recently George Hopkins, 50 years, 50 years geo. George Hopkins has been the equipment manager of the Calgary Stampeders. And I'll play that for you as well here. I used it for an article this week. that's up on CFL.ca. I wanted to let you hear Gio in his own words, because a lot of people believe that, yeah, it's fairly straightforward. You just get yourself ready for training camps and you're off and running. No, 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 no. The equipment managers, man, they, they work behind the scenes to be able to get everything on the field and running smoothly for training camps across the CFL this weekend. That is not an easy task to be able to get to. So Sam Corbet, our good friend from Sada City Brewing, and Geo from the Calgary Stampeders coming up for you right after this, right here on Marsh and Mellow on CFP. Marshall Ferguson here for my friends over at Force Stagioni. They've got a great new lineup of specials and features to keep you going deep into the summer and to get your patio fix, including their Triple Bogey Contest Giveaway. $5 tall cans of Triple Bogey Lager and Amber. Every Triple Bogey sold will be a ballot into a draw to win some golf prizes, including a grand prize of a custom Triple Bogey golf bag. They've got Lamps Bedini on the barbecue on the patio once every couple of weeks, a new summer drink menu, and of course, daily drink deals such as Sangria Saturday, Corona Buckets, and $9 Classic Cocktails. Check out their Instagram for updates. It's at 4.Stagioni. That's at F-O-R-E dot S-T-A-G-I-O-N-E. Or you can visit them always at 4stagioni.ca. Hello and welcome to another edition of our Sada City Happy Hour Tastings. Marshall Ferguson, as always, alongside Sam Corbet, who, uh, Sam, you just got off a canning. Are you allowed to say what you were canning today? Am I revealing any company secrets of Sada City beer? Oh, no, we were actually canning our last run of uh, Tropical Storm Mojito. Ah. Uh, it will, uh, as its time comes to an end, we have Tropical Storm Mimosa blowing in right behind it. And that will come <laughs> Awesome. Well, if you want a, a full review and a tasting to watch of uh, the Tropical Storm Mojito, then you can check that out on the YouTube page that you're already on. Just go through the playlist that we have here of all things Sada City and the tastings. Today, uh, we are doing something a little bit different. This is Lumber Brow. Lumber Brow, which I was joking with you before we came on. Reese Demaney, who used to work with me on radio, minor league baseball guy out in Brantford, and he saw the branding on this can. And because we were sports radio and we were over TSN in Hamilton, he jumped at the opportunity. He's can I, can I have that? That looks amazing. I'm like, yeah, sure. And he sent me it afterwards, a picture of him drinking it on like the day after our radio station got shut down. He said, A, this was much needed today. B, this is delicious. So tell us about Lumberbrow. Well, Lumberbrow is actually named after one of our brewers, James, his uh, baseball team. They're called the Lumber Kings. They're in town here. So uh, a couple of years ago, uh, he, we were all brewing beers for specific reasons. And he wanted to brew a beer that they could have after baseball. So he wanted a, something light, super crushable. So we made a rice-based lager and called it Lumberbrow because uh, that's what you do. And this is <laughs> exactly that. It's just a super refreshing beer, very light. Um, the rice adds, uh, sort of takes away a little bit of the maltiness. So it's just even easier to drink. And it's only 4.2%. So yeah, very Low ABV, very refreshing. Perfect for a super long, frustrating canning run. Yes, absolutely. Uh, as you, you were dealing with today, I'm sure trying to get through that as it was run a little long on you. But this is, when you talk about it being kind of that that rice factoring into it, what does that mean for people that aren't familiar with the idea of working with kind of a rice-based beer? 
Well, rice is just, it's, it doesn't have as high protein as malt as a regular barley malt. The color is much lighter and it doesn't add as much of that sort of grainy flavor. So it lightens everything up. So we use about 10% rice flakes, which lightens the color, lightens the body. Um, and it does like, um, one of the unfortunate things about using rice is you sort of have to figure out a way to get a little bit more head retention, which is more than nerdy stuff on the brewing side. But uh, uh, the rest of it after that, the lagering period, it's the same as we do any of our lagers. It, you know, we go four to six weeks at zero. It's super cool. So it's very refreshing and clean. Um, and we usually only, we, we've been actually brewing it all year. It was supposed to just be a summer release, but it's become a pretty big fan favorite. So we've been rolling with it all year. Um, the label, as you can see, it's got like guy catching the ball with his mitt. And, uh, you know, it's not just for baseball. You can use it for football or hockey or soccer. It's or funny because it actually does, it, it does remind me a lot of a lot of kind of stadium style beers, right? Where it's light, it's crushable. It's something that people can enjoy first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. I know that you had talked with Connor and Wade from our all Canadian show here on CFP about kind of the tailgate mentality. Lumber Row is kind of a perfect tailgate beer as well. Just thinking about like a hot summer day, you're down at Tim Hortons field or mosaic stadium in Regina, whatever it might be. And you got it on ice and you pull it out and it's 30 degrees and you're in an area that's all concrete and pavement and, and you get an opportunity to just be able to enjoy something that's really, really smooth. Cause when you're talking about the color being lighter, the body being lighter, for me, this is, it's like really, really smooth and almost like delicate in the way that it kind of hits your mouth. Yeah. You know, we, as much as it is, you know, some people can kind of like look down their nose at a light lager. Like there still is a lot of uh, care and precision goes into this when the beers are lighter and there's not a lot to hide behind. You have to be very careful not to make any mistakes or they're very noticeable. So we still take the same time and energy that we would with uh, lumber brows do any of our beers. Um, we still use the hot, I mean, adding rice doesn't necessarily, it's not a negative. It's just, you know, if you have a purpose and you stick to it, like beer, beer, light beer deserves love too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's, there's a lot of places in, in the beer world that people that have certainly been following along with the tastings that we've done here have realized that you guys have a little bit of something for everybody. Right. And so this is kind of in that family of the lighter stuff that still needs its appreciation. Cause like you're saying, there's not everybody wants to sit down and have a lusciousness, right? Not everybody wants to sit down with a, with a binary system and, and crush an eight, 9% heavy body double IPA or something like that. Exactly. This is, you know, and if you finish mowing the lawn and it's 30 degrees outside the last oh, yeah. one, it's 10%. So 4.2% <laughs> log might be more up your alley. Uh, yeah, it's very, very refreshing, super light, great for summer, great for winter, you know, whatever you're doing, it's a good post activity drink. And, or if you just want one or two and you're the driver, it's a good idea to have a couple of lumber brown side. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, tell us something interesting about the making of, of lumber brown, the process that goes into this. Cause I, I am fascinated by the little details that go into making this stuff that we just, as people who drink beer, we just don't know, right? Unless you are a brewer yourself or you know somebody that you have conversations with consistently that are brewing. Well, we start with a very low original gravity. So that keeps the ABV low, but it also finishes very low. So that's why it's so dry and drinkable. Like there's not a lot of residual sugar. It finishes well below uh, two Play-Doh. So it's in that one, 1.8% sugar. So very, very low, very dry. Um, and still you get that 4%. So the body is also a little lighter. So we spend a lot of time, you know, making sure it still has enough to be, you know, feel like a beer. You don't want it super light that it feels like water. So you, you're reminded it's beer, but you're still 
very refreshed when you're done. Uh, and then we uh, ferment it for, like I said, we take about uh, 10 days on primary and up to 60 days on secondary. So, you know, it's in the fermenter for quite a while. All that like lets the flavors come together, lagers and like all those flavors come together, make it super clean and clear and crisp and uh, exactly what you're looking for. Like, you know, Bud Light or Coors Light, you might poo-poo them again even further because they're big beer, but it does take a certain amount of uh, skill and ingenuity to make the same product millions of times in a row and make it exactly the same and to a very demanding specifications. I mean, they have a lot of science and money on their side, but um, it, you have to some, you know, to some degree respect the amount of uh, energy and time they put into making that repeatable and same quality every single time. So we try to do that on a very, very, very small scale. <laughs> uh, it is funny though, to think about, because I have never considered that, right? That it's, they have to have that. Cause if somebody ends up getting a batch of Coors Light or Budweiser, that doesn't taste exactly like they are used to, that's a, that's a bad thing for them because they want oh, yeah. it to be the exact same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So yeah, the idea of like, I, I do love the idea of somebody that works at those kind of big beer going, Oh no, we had a bad batch. And it's like, well, somebody might've had it and loved it. And somebody might've had it and hated it. Right. Because that's the nature of the standardized beer. Oh, it's, I mean, they, and they're not always brewing it in the same place. So like if you're brewing it in the, on the West coast or the East coast or wherever, it has to be the same. The water's not the same. You know, the tank's not the same. The brew house is different. So they have to take a lot of other things into consideration. And, you know, we're always, we're always here. I mean, we do have great fluctuations in, you know, between batches of malt. And so it might be seven, eight weeks between brewing Lumberbrow and the batch of malt that we got is different from the last one. So there will be a little bit of difference, but we have to do our best and all that we have to make it the same the next time. Because, you know, these light beers, like I said earlier, they are very delicate. And if you make any mistakes, and people do notice, they do almost immediately and every time so we, we take a lot of uh, pride and care in making sure that they are as close to the one before as we can yeah that's awesome well i uh, i wish that it was 30 degrees outside i wish that i was uh, cutting the lawn right now but it's been pouring in it's hamilton rain. it's been pouring in hamilton for about two straight days but it doesn't make this taste any worse it is uh, it's delicious again uh, it is lumberbrow and you can get it sodacitybeer.com is the place to go check out our podcast if you want the promo code to be able to get yourself some deals uh, on all of that stuff sam thank you as always this is another great one for you and i got to say as well on the way out here i'm fascinated by the bubble culture I'm fascinated by sticking to the side of the glass in some places, tiny bubbles in others, tight bubbles, and then big ones in the middle. I don't know, man. It's I've never understood that part of the game either, but maybe that's for another day. Maybe hey, we can always talk about that another day, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. What have the challenges been to you guys and being uh, able to kind of get everything lined up? Because you guys usually have to think so far ahead on all of these issues, but this is anything but normal. So what has that been like, and how is this shaping up for you going into the season? It's been interesting. I mean, it's the longest off season ever. In some respects, it's been better than I thought it would be because we were this time last year when everything went to hell um, and then it looked like we were going to go into a bubble. Yeah. Right. So we were, I pretty well between myself and my Gordy, my assistant, we pretty well had everything in place. If we're going to Winnipeg, all we had to do was pack and create uniforms. 
So that's all done for this year, right? Yeah. But the other side of that is that your roster's changed 50%. So everything that I'd put together clothing-wise for individual sizes and stuff, that guy that from last year isn't coming this year and the guy that's coming six feet taller and 100 <laughs> pounds lighter, right? So you got to remake everything. So um, the biggest thing has just been the stops and starts. You're going to go, then you're not going to go. I'm really positive that we're going to be all right. It looks, you know, I mean, things have changed so much in the last two weeks Yeah. that, you know, August 5th certainly looks attainable now where I wasn't sure three weeks ago that would have happened. Do you even pay attention to the daily updates at that point, or do you just have to keep your head down and try to make everything as ready as possible, assuming you're going to be going? Um, a bit of both. I mean, it's, we're pretty much squared around on what we need to do, but you don't want to get so full of it that you can't enjoy yourself a little bit if there's some spare time because you're done ahead of time. But I mean, the one night's thing this year that we don't get a lot of times is I, I more or less know who my hundred people are coming to camp. Right. Where in the past, when you had your Canadian draft five days before you started training camp, <laughs> right, you're trying to hold numbers back so that your Canadian kids that you're drafting are a receiver in 71. You know, you give that to the American that just thinks he's now an alignment. That, yeah. That's the kind of stuff you got to do this time around. I know we got a hundred and I know who they are. Um, so you can, you can do things, but I mean, like where normally you get a guy coming in a training camp and you get to um, see him for 15 to 20 minutes, one-on-one, my, you know, Gordy, myself and the player, and you're going through the whole gamut. Yep. This year we sent out emails six weeks ago. Hmm. What's your sizes? What type of helmet do you like? If you don't know, send me a picture. And we're trying to build their helmets so that when they show up, during that quarantine period where they're allowed three days that they can come over for one hour worth of individual workouts, we can grab a guy for two minutes and bring him into the equipment room fully PPE'd yeah. and say, bring your helmet with you that we made. Hopefully we're just doing a final tune. And while you're in here, let's get some shoulder pads and boom, he's gone. You know, like it's going to be very impersonal this year. It's, it's really changed a lot. But hopefully as things open up a little bit more, you can spend some time and actually meet the kid that you had, you know, 36 seconds of conversation with while he had to get out of the room. Well, I remember my 36 seconds of fame wandering through the equipment room with you guys there. And, uh, and, and it's funny because, you know, you guys do give a personal touch. Like there is this, this natural bond between equipment guys. And obviously it's because some guys want to try and, you know, sweeten the deal and try and get what they want from you. But you guys are so accommodating that I'm wondering for you, the last year and a half otherwise how tough has it been to not have that personal relationship because i'm sure there's going to be guys that come into the locker room you haven't seen them in a couple of years but you know them so well because the stamps hold on to players usually and develop them so well that you get a chance to be able to see those guys and it's going to be like you never left but then there's those other players coming in like you're saying the younger ones or the draft picks from the last two years and you don't really have a chance to know them all that well no you know and it's we've always tried to be from as long as I can remember here, you, you kind of make it a family. Sometimes it morphs into that on its own, but a lot of times it's the work that we put into it that does that. So it's going to be really difficult where if nothing held the kid that I'm talking to can't even tell that I'm smiling because I got a mask on. Right. Right. 
so I got to let the twinkle in my eyes come through. You know? <laughs> so, but I mean, it's it's there's expectations on how people act when they get here, and that's because that's the way that we want people to act. But I think because we draft the right people and we bring in the right people, those expectations are very easy. So um, it may not be quite as hands-on to start off with, but by the time that 21-day training camp is over with, everybody's going to know everybody, you know, and, yeah. and it, it'll work out. It's just, it's going to be different. Is this it, whole thing has been different. Yeah, no doubt. Is it fair to say that this is, uh, without question, the most unique situation going into a training camp that you've had in your long storied career yeah yeah without without question um just because it's been so up in the air and you've had guys we had guys working out monday wednesday and friday and suddenly they can't come in anymore so guys are taking half the weight room with them when they go because now <laughs> the only place they can work out is in their garage or their basement and you're marking down as they're leaving and then you're checking them off as they come back in type routine so yeah i mean it's just it's everybody talks about the new normal and the new normal seems to be daily changing. So you just adapt. The one thing I did learn a long time ago is that there's an awful lot here I can't control, but what I can, I'm going to control real well. And that this last 15 months has really tested that. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about the clothing sizes and getting things organized and the numbers at training camp, but in terms of the, the hard equipment itself, has there been any trouble with helmet reconditioning or dealing with Riddell or Shutter, whoever you're dealing with, because it's been tough to get product moved around like normal for a lot of different industries. It has. Um, we were fortunate in some respects in that normally my heart good order goes in first part of February. So I had received all of my helmets, all of my shoulder pads and everything just before we shut down last year. Good. So it's all here. Um, a few things have changed and we've had to tweak and reorder a few things and, and custom fit helmets. We actually, we couldn't get the guy from Riddell into Canada to be able to scan guys for precision fit helmets. Mm. So I'm proud to say the Calgary Stampeders were the guinea pigs and we got ourselves an iPad and got the uh, Verify uh, app put onto it through Riddell and we actually scanned three guys on our own wow. and their helmet showed up last week. So bullshit luck i don't know but we got it done right so you just you got to figure out what you need to do yeah absolutely and the last one that i got for you here is uh what do you expect to be feeling when the national anthem kicks off week one wherever you're playing whoever you're playing after such a long wait a mixture of relief and elation the only thing that would make it better is if the jets flew over like they do on labor day Getting you through the mornings. Uh, hey, Mike. Uh, <laughs> if you uh, if you go on to win uh, the Super Bowl, will you in fact uh, dismember your penis? <laughs> Martian Mellow. Mike O'Shea, would you be willing, if you win the Grey Cup, to uh, to get rid of you know your pecker? <laughs> <laughs> My voice has never been so gravelly. It always makes me so happy to hear my voice doing that. Welcome back. It is Marsh and Mello here on Canadian Football Perspective. Hope that you enjoyed hearing from Sam Corbet and, of course, Gio. Uh, and man, the amount of work that goes into getting training camps off the ground. That dude has been a part of 880 CFL games, regular season and playoffs. 50 years, 880 games total. And he said, you heard it in that interview, I've never 
had a season start like this. And the one thing that he is thankful for is that he actually knows who's coming to training camp and he's known for a little bit longer than usual. He's not in a bubble, so he doesn't have to take all of his gear somewhere else and then fly stuff in if he doesn't have the right stuff. He's actually on location. He actually knows who's coming in. And he says, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. At the end of the day, we are going to get through this and we're going to be all right. Uh, he's a fun guy, man. I love being around. He was actually the first person, Kyle, when I went to Calgary, who greeted me at the door and took me into the equipment room. And he went, helmet, Riddell, boom, we got 15 of those. Which, which face mask do you want? Yep, we got those. Let me strap that on there. It took him two minutes. Wow. He's like, shoulder pads, helmet, face mask. You want a visor? Good stuff. All right, let's get you that. You want a towel? Good. We got a CFL brand new one. We got a stamps logo. You got socks? Okay, we can give you some Adidas socks here. We can, and he was just like, bang, 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 bang. Okay, there's your locker. Congrats. Welcome to the stamps. And just right away, and I'm like, oh my God. That was that would have taken a, an hour if I was doing it myself or with somebody at university. But they are so refined; they know exactly where everything is, what they what you need. Uh, and he mentioned there in the interview as well the idea of usually they have guys come in and they give them that kind of personal firsthand treatment of, "Hey, let me get you ready." This year, they've just yeah. sent sent out emails to get them ready for all of these things. So. Uh, it's tough because you're asking guys, you know, what's your sizing? What's your helmet? What face mask do you want? If, if you don't know what it's called or what it looks like, just send us a picture and we'll order stuff in for you and we'll get it done. And, uh, so it's certainly a, a different year for everybody in the equipment side on top of the coaches and the GMs and the players and everyone else. By the way, did you see the picture that Dane Evans posted on his either Instagram or Twitter? And I can't remember if he put it as a story. So it might not even be on his Instagram anymore yeah. of his new helmet. So he posted a picture of his new helmet oh. and he has a new visor and I'm almost positive from the picture. It looks tinted like reddish or it's like pinkish. And I'm like, wait, I thought you're not allowed to have tinted visors anymore in the Canadian football. League. Well, I think Masoli has worn a dark visor at times. So maybe it's that Masoli swagger that's rubbing off on Dane. They're, they're talking to each other too much. And then all of a sudden the backup's like, Hey, visors. I like visors. Sure. Well, I don't think Dane has ever worn a visor. I mean, like, the damn guy had a mullet, I'm pretty sure, when he was in university and he didn't wear yeah. a visor as far as I know. So now he's gone from uh, mullet guy at Tulsa to badass Masoli uh, compatriot here in Canada in Hamilton yeah. with a visor. So that's that's kind of cool. I'm going to have to see some uh, pictures of, uh, of training camp. Yeah. And then uh, we'll see if Dane Evans uh, does, in fact, have a new helmet. I think that's something that's underestimated. Uh, just regular fans that aren't at practices and, you know, some teams you can't even go to their practices right now. Yeah. Some journalists, you can't even go to their practices. Marshall would know about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> right? it depends, depends if it's the playoffs and people like yeah. you or don't like you. <laughs> this is true. Or else sometimes you have to spend time in the parking lot. That's yep. all I'm going to say. Yep. But um, I think it's underestimated, like how loved like the trainers are on football teams. I'm not even talking about just the love that they get. I'm talking about, Everybody in the room, the most universally loved person, like for the tie cats, Dylan's probably the most universally loved person <laughs> in the tie cats room. Like nobody ever has a bone to pick with Dylan, right? Or Dylan or Claire, right? It's like one of those people that are so instrumental to the success of the tie cats and keeping those guys healthy. Like Claire's always doing work. Like she's the busiest person in the tie cats organization. I always say that every time you see her, she's off doing something and she's walking to do something. Right. And I think that is underestimated. And it's something that fans, we watch football games and we don't realize like, Oh yeah. Like these trainers are around these players every single day and do work every single day and they don't get love from the fans. Like they don't get standing ovations after a touchdown or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And they are, 
uh, typically in behind the scenes, although I do love watching like old school great cups and Gio was on there on the sidelines, like screaming at the refs and freaking, <laughs> I'm like, I, I love, I love an equipment manager who is emotionally attached to the team so much that he's willing to get right there into the muck in the middle of it with you. I played a soccer game. I was probably 16, 17 years old and I was injured. I didn't play and I was on the sideline and the team out in the field, we weren't playing that well, but we were still winning the game. And then the other team decided to get super dirty. Like guys were throwing elbows, going up for headers and stuff. And we were yelling at the refs like, Hey, keep an eye out. Referee at one point comes over. He just points to the sideline and he just goes, you gone <laughs> to the parking lot. He sent the guy to the parking lot, but we were all looking at each other. We're like, wait, who did he throw out? And then he just goes, you I'm looking, I'm like, me? And he goes, no, you. And he points to the other guy. The coach's 11-year-old son got tossed from what? the sideline for yelling at the referee. Oh, God. That's amazing. <laughs> 11 years old, and he has to walk into the parking lot. <laughs> That's an ump show if I've ever heard of one. Man. Oh, big ump show. Those referees, Hamilton uh, soccer. Look, a lot of those guys don't get paid, and they do it as volunteer hours, and I, I get that. Um, but what the hell are you doing there? Yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, let's get into the news of the week around the CFL that is, uh, on top of training camps happening, obviously right after this, we can start to dive into in the, in the future shows here on CFP, all things CFL training camp. But, uh, the tweet from Dave Naylor sounds like the CFL has ended talks with owners of the XFL without entering into any formal collaboration league expected to clarify today. They did. They put out a statement shortly after that that essentially said, yeah, we've, we enjoyed our conversations with them. We don't have anything further to follow up on at this point. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts before I dive into kind of my feelings on, on this whole conversation, Kyle. Um, conversation centering around? Just Sorry. XFL, CFL, yeah. the, the fact that it got shut down and the fact that, I mean, it, it dominated, whether it was in the front of your mind or lingering in the back of your mind for most CFL people, yeah, this conversation was a big part of the last four or five months, it feels like. And now it's finally been shut down and we can focus on the CFL season as the CFL sounds like they are. Because in that statement, they said we are solely focused on August 5th and having a fantastic 2021 CFL season, which most CFL fans, I think, were hoping for for a long time. Yeah. So, one, I'm not surprised about the announcement. I know Randy Ambrosi and that CFL brass were kind of feeling the heat in terms of you know, fans being angry that this was a potential result down the road where the CFL and XFL had some sort of massive collaboration and, you know, quote unquote merger. Um, I think it's important to note that they didn't say done forever. They just said done at this time. Um, I also put out on Twitter for fans worrying about this is going to pop up again, talks between the XFL and the CFL. Realize the XFL has never been more, um, you know, when you look at where the, C the, the, the CFL is financially, it's not in a good space, right? And I'm not naive to say, oh, the CFL is doing great because it's not, right? But the XFL has never been more attractive from a financial standpoint than right now. Because the idea of the XFL is more than the reality of the XFL. As soon as the XFL goes into a season and TV numbers start to dip, interest level starts to dip. And then, you know, network executives are looking at each other and saying, why the hell are we paying these guys? Like, we're not getting the fruits of that labor in terms of the money that we're putting in. 
And then what? The CFL is going to partner with the XFL after? No. If the XFL were ever going to partner with the Canadian Football League, it was going to be right now mm-hmm. because they have, quote unquote, new money, right? And new ownership. And they have a face behind it in Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Outside of that, like the reality of the XFL isn't very strong. This is a league that has failed twice, right? And did the coronavirus, you know, have a hand in, you know, ending the second time around? Absolutely. But you still, you know, filed for bankruptcy and Vincent Fan wanted no part of the XFL moving forward. That's why he did so. So if you're the Canadian Football League and you're a fan of this league, now's the time. And Tim McAuliffe touched on this on, on Tim and Friends on Sportsnet. Yeah. He touched on this as well. You know, if you're a Canadian Football League fan and you love football in this country, I'm wearing McMaster, you know, hat. Um, you know, it's time to put up or shut up. If you want to support sports in Canada, this is the only league that is ours. I mean, there are other leagues as well, but for football, this is the only leagues that, that that's ours. We have, you know, college teams and, you know, the youth sports and the OUA and all of that, but professional football, this is all we have. And this is uniquely ours. Yes. Our league is made up of a lot of Americans, but a lot of those Americans have become staples in the Canadian football league because of the teams that they play for, because of the league that they play in. Um, I don't think there's a American playing in the CFL right now that made his name in the NFL. Um, I mean, some guys made their name in college football, but how many CFL guys were college stars? Yeah. Not a lot. Yeah. Right. And, and so, if they were college stars then something obviously fell apart in order for them to be in Canada, which is why exactly. they're in Canada, which is why this league is so great because you don't have to rely on those names. Yeah. So if, you know, uh, back to the news of, you know, the CFL deciding to, you know, put all their focus on the 2021 season. They did this because not that they were forced into it, but because they have to, you don't want to, and we always make fun of this too, right? When CFL fans yell on Twitter, they're like, yeah, but what about the Argos attendance? Who cares about the global initiative for the CFL? They can do both. Right. But it's a bad look for the CFL if, you know, week four, if the numbers, TV numbers aren't great. Attendance numbers are a little shaky because people are still worried about coronavirus and things like that. Um, it's a bad look if Randy Ambrosi, Ambrosi is still actively talking with the XFL to do some type of big collaboration. So right. I wasn't surprised, but I think the CFL in some ways was forced into the announcement this week. Yeah, and I also feel like they were exploring things with the XFL without any locked-in intentions. Right? Yeah. Like from people that I had talked to. And so, I mean, we took it as it's it was a bit of a threat. I think that's fair to say because you were worried about losing the integrity of what the Canadian Football League is, losing your identity, losing your brand, and all of those things, and trading it in for what essentially at this point is a marketing brand, right? Because as you say, the the XFL is, it's a marketing brand. It's a promotions wing. It's 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 a football league, but it's it's a lot different than being a true show up and play football kind of league. Same with the Alliance who, you know, I saw the, yeah. some Alliance teams tweeting at the CFL, you know, whether it be sarcastically or otherwise saying, well, you know, when one door closes, another one opens, we're always open to discussion. And I want to laugh at that, but at the same time, the CFL is always open to discussion because they're always open to trying new things and seeing what kind of the best practices are going forward. As Randy Ambrosi always says as the commissioner. So uh, my first yeah. thing when I where I heard this was a, that I was glad. Uh, because it was a bit of a sideshow. It was a bit of a circus, and I'm glad that they're focused on going into the season and focusing on this year. Could things change down the road? Maybe. Is the CFL's financial picture 
perfectly clear and solved? No. I mean, things are evolving quickly, whether it be the gambling money coming in or more government support. And I would also say that at the time of the Great Depression, there was this great resurgence that came afterwards for things like music and arts and culture and film and athletics and university support. And, and I think the money that will come in that Tim McAuliffe, which, by the way, I was texting with Timmy, everybody, please get off Tim's ass because everybody is when when McAuliffe does a rant on the CFL, he says that his mentions just get full of, pe- <laughs> of people from the CFL being like, because well, of then, the network he works yeah. for. Well, then people will be like, well, then do the CFL stuff all the time. And he's like, well, that's not this show. And they'll be like, well, then screw you, man. It's like, no, that's not the problem here. Like, you yeah. can have it both ways. So get off Tim's ass is the first thing I would say. Um, watch yeah. his show, but get off his ass because he does a very, very good job. And the degree of difficulty for what Tim does on that show is insane. Like he's doing radio yeah. and television and he's doing it like solo and he's, uh, it's just, it's so much. I have such great respect for Tim, but um, yeah, go ahead there, Kyle. What are you going to say? No, I was just going to say that's a guy who has put so much work into football in this country. Maybe not even CFL work. Like he was a play-by-play guy in the CFL. Yeah. He was also a play-by-play guy of U sports and CIS football when it was kind of at its peak in terms of exposure, yeah. right? Like the score television network did a lot and you played in that day, right? Yeah. Did a lot for university football in this country. And Tim was at the front of that. He was the face of the broadcast mm-hmm. and he was the play by play guy. And yeah, I don't understand people that say, Oh, you know, you don't talk about the CFL enough. And it's like, I think people would be, And again, I could be wrong in saying this because it's not technically our situation, but, or was our situation at TSN, people would be kind of disappointed to hear how much power the broadcaster has in their own show Mm -hmm. in terms of what stuff they put on air. Like we'll say it right now. And we've said it before and we said it when we're on TSN. There was a lot of times we did interviews. We were forced to do. We didn't want to yeah. do, but we were forced to do it. That's part of the job. Like you don't always get to create yeah. your own content. I was grateful for how much content we did get to create when we were doing radio. But yeah, it's it's always a Remember challenge. Remember that guy so. from Vegas that do that did football picks on our show? <laughs> yeah, that was. And then people were like, "This guy is a total schlub," and we're and it was so hard for me not to tweet back. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm aware. Like, thank you for the help. What do you have to do, man? Yeah, it's part of the job. So they paid a hell of a lot of money to come on our show. So too much. It was a it was a funny dollar. Do you remember what the dollar amount actually was for that? For him to do like a 10 minute hit and promote his like betting line where people would call and get picks. It was in the thousands. Let's just say that (laughs) for 10 minutes over over like an eight week. uh, So it was a once a week thing. But I think it was like it was an eight week. But I think it was like seven hundred and fifty dollars per hit for eight weeks. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was thousands and thousands of dollars. It was like five grand. Well, how do you? That's that just, huge. That, how do you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Anyways, we um, wish he would have called his friends, and uh, <laughs> they all chip in five grand, and maybe TSN eleven fifty would still be a thing. There you but go. one thing I did want to mention in terms yeah. of the XFL, I didn't even realize this because I don't care. Um, if if we post this on YouTube, people can see it. Clearly, I don't follow the XFL Mm -hmm. on Twitter. Outside of a tweet on April 19th about uh, Chris Brown, an XFL defender's um, offensive lineman passing away, the last time they tweeted was March the 10th when the Mm -hmm. CFL announced that they were in talks with the XFL. Like, XFL, I know that you're coming in 2023, 
Are you even trying? <laughs> behind what the, the scenes, hell is that? I think that behind the scenes they seem like they're trying, but again, their business, I I don't understand <laughs> how they're operating. You can't get an intern? You can't get an intern to run your social media account well, and just say, hey, can you tweet out pictures and just stuff like that? It's like, what the hell is going on? Well, I know the guy Bailey that was in charge of the XFL social media account that was actually doing really good work with them when they were in season. Like when they let him go, he got picked up by Lebetard as like an intern for a little while. And then now I think he's like a, a social media um What's the term that we always joke about with Jack Armstrong? A consultant. He's a social, oh, consultant. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a social media consultant where um, he gets to go ahead basically and just like help people build their brands through social media. But he, um, yeah, here's the social media uh, consultant. Tell you what, you know, when I die, I definitely want to come back as a consultant because that's like one of the greatest scam jobs. You come in and you say, well, you maybe can fix this, fix that, fix that. And then at the end of the day, you walk away and it's not your problem. Okay, so that's what Bailey from the XFL is doing now, but he's not working for the XFL, which means they're not tweeting, apparently. So I don't know if whether they're actually pushing things on any uh, timelines or other places that we don't know of. But... Like, that's bad business practice. Yeah. Like, to completely go just MIA, like, on social media. They have 350,000 followers, and they should be hitting every single day like the CFL account does. Yes, it's the offseason, but you still post, Right. Whatever, even if you post the same thing every day where it's like, whatever, 1,222 days away, 1,221 days away, like do it every day, at least do something. I feel bad sometimes when I'm on Twitter and I realize I haven't tweeted in two days and I'm a nobody. The XFL, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's an owner of your league and you can't get anybody to freaking tweet from your account that's pathetic yeah not great not great i would agree with you on that but uh, i do want to mention this before we wrap up the show for today as we head into cfl training camps excited to be able to bring you updates and hopefully we'll be able to do some friday house parties going forward if we can get enough kind of funny uh sound clips that come out of training camps and starting to get towards uh, what would be preseason games, but it's just going to be a very, very long 21 day training camp that hopefully we'll get some news out of. I think we will pretty quickly. I'm, I'm actually interested to see what the retirements look like this weekend when guys show up to camp and they go, eh, yeah, you know what? Body's not really feeling it. Not, not sure I want to do this going <laughs> forward, but um, I tweeted out yesterday when I saw the Naylor news, uh, <laughs> which sounds like its own segment here, Naylor news um, that you can use for future TSN radio promotions. But, uh, and I said, might be a good time to assess who leveraged your fears as a CFL fan for clicks for months. Pretty educational. And the reason that I sent that out, and I didn't respond to many of the tweets that I got back from that. I didn't understand that it was going to you know, create a bit of a firestorm when I sent it out of people saying, well, the, the network that starts with a T and ends with an N, they certainly played a large role in, propagating the fears of everybody by driving interest and Naylor was out there and he was giving his own opinion. And uh, I saw a lot of people accusing Farhan and Dave Naylor of being the ones that were leading the charge on all of this. And here's what I would say to that. Okay. That Dave and Farhan Lalji really good at their jobs. Do they have connections that are in both the CFL office because of the, the rights agreement? Sure. Do they have connections to higher ups at TSN that get privy information, all of these things? Sure. But those guys by and large report on the topics. And then whenever you're asked questions about those topics, a little bit of your opinion is going to seep its way in. So, you know, Dave Naylor is on a radio hit in Ottawa, let's say, and it's the end of April and this news has come out and they say, well, what can you report? And he reports. And then they say, well, but what do you think this could look like moving forward? And he says, well, based on everything I'm hearing, here's where I think this might trend, or here's what I think the advantage of working with the XFL might be moving forward. And so I think there was a little bit of that, 
opinion sprinkled in. I think people misinterpreted Dave reporting and sprinkling in some opinion with him being leading the charge and driving the fears and generating clicks and interest. That's not the intention. When I sent that out, that had nothing to do with Dave Naylor, Farhan Lalji, anybody at TSN, hell, anybody at Sportsnet. Like that had nothing to do with anybody in that grand scheme of things. What I was talking about is the people who threw out conspiracy theories and quotes and push them on social media in quote clicks that you can put up on Instagram and Twitter and all the rest. And I think you know who I'm talking about at this point that when they put that stuff up where it says bad, bad things are happening behind the scenes and there's things that nobody's talking about. And it looks as though this organization and that organization are defiant in the CFL's face and they are fighting to make sure that they stay with the XFL and they really want to Americanize this because it's an American city in Toronto. And like when you're just throwing around shit like that, just without having any consequences whatsoever of what you're talking about. Every single day, there were some places in this country where people get their Canadian football news that were just playing off the fact that, well, there's not really any Canadian football news because the season's delayed. So other than talk about how pathetic it would be if we didn't get a season in 2021 or COVID protocols, let's just go ahead and peddle CFL fears by talking about the possibility of the exit. And every day was a new angle. It was, yeah. a new, it was a new poll question, whatever it would be that would drive interest in him. And if that's the approach that you want to have to media, go crazy. That's not the approach that we took on CFP, which I'm really proud of because I had people saying, well, you know, it's, it was pretty hard not to talk about because it was kind of the only CFL news. I mean, other than the show that you and I did, the emergency podcast that day got announced that they were talking, <laughs> yeah. we didn't really talk about the X. Like how many times do you hear the XFL come up in discussions on this show, All Canadian with Wade and Connor, the breakdown with myself yeah. and DT or the A block. Sure, I interviewed June Jones and it came up in conversation. How would it not? He's an XFL head coach. Like, obviously, that was going to be part of the discussion. I think at times we had talked leading up to the CFL draft, the value of a Canadian and keeping the ratio. It came up on some radio hits that I did. Yes, it was a topic that people were interested in. But there's a line where you go from reporting and a little bit of opinion, like the TSN guys and Farhan and Dave, and having some small minor discussions of, yeah, this is on the periphery, to where other shows and other outlets were driving that content because they knew if I put up a headline that has XFL clarifies discussions or Danny Garcia tweets out further description or or here's a screenshot of somebody who works in the XFL and this might tell us we can read the tea leaves of what's happening and well, there's these XFL podcasts who all want to come in and start to thrive off of the CFL interest in what could be happening here in the future. Come in, cover the CFL. We need it. (laughs) But at the same time, I was like, I I don't give a damn. Like, it's the old thing, right? Like, don't tell me about the labor, show me the baby. It's like, if this was going to happen and it was going to be some sort of merger or some sort of connection, which I didn't really see how it was going to happen. But if it was going to happen, then I, for one, was willing to wait which is not something that humans naturally do anymore. We want everything right now. We want the most salacious thing. We want it every 10 seconds in front of our face. And if we don't like it, we'll scroll past it. We'll go to the next thing. I was willing to wait. And I think that's why when I sent that out of, it might be a good time to assess who was leveraging your fears as a CFL fan in order to get the clicks that they desire. You got to understand places that work in the digital age, their metrics are going off of like us, downloads, clicks, subscriptions, like all of those things. That's how they go to sponsors and they say, look what we're getting. Yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't matter how they get them. All that matters is that they get the likes, the clicks, the downloads, the subscribes. So if they're leveraging you 
and you are willingly getting sucked into that black hole as a consumer of sports media, of CFL media, then you are only reinforcing the shitty style of media that's just going to lie to your face in order to get clicks. And guess what happens? When that snowball starts to go downhill and you keep letting it roll, it's going to pick up more snow and it's going to become a boulder by the time it gets to the bottom of that snow hill. So for me, I just sent that out thinking, you know, people should really take a step back and stop thinking about needing your updates every 10 seconds or what's the most recent thing on the XFL or why can't we just push back from the table a little bit for a second, just for a second and say to yourselves, okay, is this tangible? And if so, how? Yeah. And, and, and don't allow people that are pushing it every single day to allow you to be stuck in that news cycle of, well, I got to go to that person to find out what the latest news. They don't have any news. They, <laughs> they don't have any news. They're just amalgamating all of these random ideas and takes and spraying them out to you on their platform. And when you allow that to happen, you only reinforce. So my whole point is just think about where you get your news. Think about where you get your CFL content and think about who actually gives a shit about you as a CFL fan yeah. and who's, who's just doing it because they're trying to get the numbers to sell themselves to further sponsors. Yeah. Like you said, let's go back to March the 10th. Um, the CFL puts out an announcement that they're working with the XFL and some sort of collaboration and CFL Twitter and CFL fans across this country lose their mind, right? What do they do? They go online and try to click on everything. Well, TSN realizes that three down nation realizes that. And their executives, you know, Justin Dunk and the executives at TSN are looking at that and saying, let's keep hammering this every single day until we stop getting numbers on it. And that's what they keep doing until the numbers start, stop coming in. They're not going to just go away from it. They're not going to say, oh, we got 90,000 clicks on this today, but now let's not talk about it you know, tomorrow. No, they're going to keep talking about it until those numbers go down to something below their regular click number. So, or unless they've exhausted every avenue and option, you know, uh, in their coverage. And that was like, you know, you and me, we did that emergency podcast on March the 10th, the day that announcement came out. And I said numerous times on that podcast, this is definitely the tinfoil hat episode of Marshmallow (laughs) because we didn't know anything, but we came back the next week We had a little bit more news, but we were going completely off of reporting from Naylor, from Lology, from Dunk, from guys who cover this league and break news. And that's what we're going off of. But the week after, we stopped talking about it because the hell are we going to do? Just beat the dead cow over and over and over again when we know nothing? Yeah, and and I would also say this, and I, I like being completely transparent with all of our listeners and the people that follow us here on CFP because I feel like there's a lot of other outlets that are just lying to your face all the time. So I like being transparent because I think it's the right thing to do. Our emergency podcast on that day, March 10th, which shouts you for knowing the day because I did not, uh, but that emergency <laughs> podcast, that was easily the most downloaded podcast we've ever had on Canadian football perspective. Easily. It blew everything out of the water. It was an insane amount of downloads. I looked at it the next day and I said, I can't believe how interested people are in this. Now I get it because it's shocking, right? And that's the thing that people like is if it shocks you and you want information on, you want a media, that's why we did that podcast. But we didn't do that podcast to get clicks. We didn't do that to sell ourselves to sponsors. We did it because we knew you guys would want it. We did it because we thought it was interesting. And so we wanted to give that to you. But we didn't do an emergency podcast every time there was a rumor that came out for the next four months. Other shows, other outlets, every time there was the tiniest tidbit or the idea of a tidbit or the fake reporting of a tidbit that didn't really exist, they were leading their shows with it. 
right? And that's the thing that drives me crazy is like, that doesn't need to be where you get your news from because that's not news. That's not how that's supposed to work. Sure, in the modern media age, that's how it's been created. That's how it's been propagated. But that's not how that stuff is supposed to be shaped. And if you fall into that black hole, that's fine. Get your, get your stuff wherever you want to get your stuff. But I would also say that since that day where we had that record number of downloads and subscribes and all that stuff from the CFL XFL emergency podcast, our numbers have consistently gone down. That's fine. Yep. Like I'm okay with it. We, I didn't look at it and go, Oh man, you know, the uh, downloads going down. I, you know what? Let's smash in case of emergency. Let's get out the XFL poll questions. I don't care. Like I'm, I'm giving you the CFL here on CFP because that's what we want to give you. That's what we think you're interested in. And sure enough, as we get closer to training camp, guess what's happened, Kyle, all of a sudden the CFL is back. And now we have downloads that are going up again because people are saying, Oh yeah, I want to get back into this. So we're proud to be able to give you that as a place that we're never going to bullshit you. We're never going to lie to you about what's interesting or what's not. We're just going to give you the games. We're going to give you the interest. We're going to give you the discussions. And it's not that there's not going to be debate or interesting topics or breaking news. There is, but we're never going to lie to you. Like we're never going to tell you that something is news when it's not news. And I'm, I'm really yeah. proud of that. I really am as something that we've created from the ground up around here. So anyways, I just, I wanted to get that off my chest. Cause there was a lot of people saying, wow, I can't believe that you still have TSN and your Twitter handle and you're banging Dave Naylor. I was like, I'm not banging Dave Naylor read between the lines. Also that Ryan Valentine guy from, uh, from big brother Canada or whatever, he was trying to teach me on how Twitter works. He's like, bro, that's not how it works on Twitter. People don't read between the lines. Not everybody sees it, how you see it in this plant. I was like, listen, man, Here's how it works. I use Twitter how I want to use it. You use Twitter how you want to use it. Go ahead. Do whatever you want to yeah. do with your Twitter handle. I'll do what I want with mine. Anybody who actually knows where the grain of salt, what the media looks like in Canadian football right now, you can read between the lines and know exactly where I was coming from with that tweet where I said, it's time for you to assess where you're getting your news from and maybe wake up to the people who are actually trying to give you information and those who are just putting on a show to try and push sponsors. Yeah, I love people on social media trying to educate, you know, other people on how to do their jobs when they don't have the slightest clue on how stuff actually works. Like this this week, the Stanley Cup finals are going on and Ron McLean interviews Gary Bettman yeah. and doesn't ask him about the <laughs> that Chicago Black Sox sexual assault scandal. Okay, yeah. it was bad. They're the rights holders to the NHL. How the hell do you think Gary Bettman's going to react to that? You don't think he's going to have a talk yeah. with Sportsnet executives after the fact? So Ron McLean just didn't want to give everybody headaches at the Stanley Cup finals. And, you know, then, you know, reports get leaked and then it's the whole thing. And it takes away attention from where it's supposed to be, the play on the ice, which was really damn good this postseason, you know, taking everything into consideration, the cross-border travel and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, an unbelievable run by Montreal. They come up short in the end, but it's like, do you not know how any of this stuff works? Like, yeah, you can rip Ron McClain. Guess what? Ron McClain's been doing this a hell of a long time. And if Ron McClain you know, owned the NHL rights himself, you probably would have asked Gary Bettman that question. But we all work for somebody. Yeah. Like, hate to tell everybody, we all work for somebody. Me and Marsh worked at TSN. Guess what? We don't work at TSN anymore. <laughs> right? It's simple yeah. as that. It's, it's the freedom of being able to go independent. And I think that's why the future of media is largely independent for a lot of people, is that you can be more transparent on these things. Do you get the same access? No, because the rights holders will always have the access. But that's a, maybe that's a discussion for a different day. I just wanted to get that off my chest about everything XFL, yeah. CFL news and make sure that people know, like just assess where you're going moving forward and, 
and think about the places that are giving you the news. Cause I understand there's, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work in Canadian football coverage. And there's a lot of people doing their best to promote the game. It's just that there's different approaches to this medium and to this style of, uh, of the Canadian game that I think, uh, I mean, you can read into it how you want, but I think it's, it's worthwhile just assessing where you get your stuff from. So uh, anyways, not to end the show on a downer today, uh, but I will end it like that. All good. Uh, fun conversation today about drunk Nikita Kucherov. I enjoyed that. Uh, also Kyle, Kyle trying to understand the Sopranos again, not really wanting to, uh, as always, thank (laughs) you to Salada city brewing Sam Corbet for being able uh, to join us here on the show. It was always fun to catch up with him talking about Lumberbrow today, Geo, George Hopkins, the equipment manager for the Calgary Stampeders. And then uh, fun discussion here on the end about all things XFL, CFL. Kyle, I hope you have a great weekend. I hope that you it too. is By the way, we didn't, t- we didn't touch on it. Uh, you got your injection, your second dose. Oh, yeah. Dose. Uh, it um, kicks me in the ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when did you get it? This week? Uh, yeah, I got it like Tuesday morning. I just called a local pharmacy. I'm like, hey, can I, uh, can I get in? They're like, yeah, be here in a half an hour. So I did. And I felt fantastic yeah. for like 12 hours. And then, oh, I felt like an 80 year old for the last 36 hours. I just came out of it. Um, so it, it was, yeah. it was I, my joints, my back, my knees, everything was, t- I had a fever that got up to like 39 and I know I make it sound terrible, but for me, I, the whole time that I felt like crap, I just kept saying to Marlene, she's like, oh, this, it seems awful. Cause she still hasn't been able to get hers yet. Cause she was a little bit behind on her first shot. And yeah. I, and I said, yeah, if, you know, I, it doesn't feel great. And I'm like, but the alternative is like possible death. So I'm good. <laughs> it's like, I don't yeah. really, I don't really care if I'm sweating for two days. I mean, like today is the first day I felt pretty good. I got a workout in, like I had a beer while we're doing the show here. Like I feel totally normal again. So totally. Worth- you felt good after the first dose as well too. Though, right? First dose. I didn't even know that I had got yeah. the shot. Like it didn't affect me in the slightest. Um, the second one, I did end up getting Moderna. The second, my first one was Pfizer. So people say like, Oh, mixing might be bad for you. But I've also read multiple reports that say that's not a thing. Like Moderna and Pfizer are so close together. They yeah. just take, take the first one you can. So I did. And I kind of honestly did that because they said, well, we're at a, at a Pfizer at this local pharmacy, but we have Moderna. And I read some reports on it and I was like, you know what? I can't possibly go to people and be like, just take the first vaccine that you can get. If I myself don't do it. Like I would yeah. feel like a liar if I were to do that. So yeah, I just, I went ahead and, and got the first one that I could. And like I say, it kicked me in the ass for 36 hours whatever it's 36 hours it's gone it's a day and a half i'm fine and now i'm uh, two weeks away from being invincible so i got uh i got back to back pfizer uh last monday and apparently it takes 10 days to kick in so i should be good in like two days Amazing. two days apparently i'm like uh, fully vaccinated and it's like it's in the system um but i will say and again this is going to be 100 bro science um <laughs> i was reading a lot of articles because i felt great like even I never had any symptoms from both doses. Even the second dose, I felt the same as I did after the first dose, nice. was, which was nothing, right? And then I was thinking, what is it? And then my girlfriend, Danielle, was telling me, she's like, well, apparently there are articles and there's studies saying if you're an O negative blood, then it's supposed to you know, fight off corona better than other blood types. Again, bro science, yeah. right? And I'm like, huh, I don't even know what blood type I am. So I asked my mom, I'm like, what blood type, what blood type am I? And she texts me back and she goes, I don't even know, but I think you're O negative. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that would make so much sense. Again, bro science brought to you by Kyle Mello. Boom. Nailed it. The perfect <laughs> way to end the show today. I will just play the bro science stinger on the way out for you here as a way to end the show in place of the three minute warning today. Bro science. Now you know. 
Let's see if we can make some lemonade out of this lemon that we're in the middle of. Turn a red light into a green light. Just keep living.